This is the assembly of the born-again children of God. Let there be no mistake. This is the assembly of the born-again children of God. They will be, and they are, the only survivors in the spirit war. The born-again children of God. You've heard me talk for many years about the spirit war. The reality is many are dying in the spirit war. It is a battle. It's a war between good and evil, between God and Satan. Its origins are in the heavens, not on the earth. They are dying. Why are people dying in this war? They are dying for a lack of truth. A lack of truth. The truth that would have set them free from sin, the truth that would have set them free from death, the result of sin, the truth that would have made them victorious in the spiritual war. The spirit war. This will be session three today. And I've told you since the first session that the whole spirit war awaits a revelation. Who will be the legitimate children of God on the last day? This series will be specifically focused on how to survive the spirit war. Ignore this message. And I'm not talking about my words. I'm talking about this. Ignore this message to your own peril. It is instruction about how you can become a blood-bought child of God and survive the spiritual war that's raging around us. Most of my teaching in this series has come from Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. We call it Ephesians. This is the letter that Paul clearly describes. In fact, I don't know how much more plain he can put it. Paul, in the last chapter of Ephesians, clearly describes the spirit war that many, even in the church, refuse to acknowledge that there are demonic powers around us. There's a battle in heaven between God and Satan, between the angels who follow God and the angels who follow Satan. And it's real and it manifests itself on the earth. And those spirit powers can affect you. They can, they can speak into your mind. So I'm going to begin today with how I've begun every session, Ephesians 6.10, where Paul describes the war itself. A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities in the unseen world against mighty powers in the dark world and against evil spirits. How are you going to do battle against evil spirits? You'll need the Holy Spirit against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you'll be able to what? So that you'll be able to resist the enemy. In the time of evil. Then, then, on the last day, after the battle, on the last day, you'll still be standing firm. We closed last week with Paul's letter to the church at Rome. 
revealing that all creation is groaning in eager expectation for one final event. One, everything is rushing. Everything in, the, in creation is rushing toward a single event when God will reveal who his sons are. That's what the Bible, that's the, that's the literal translation. The spirit war, who will be the legitimate children of God on the last day? This will be the biggest event in human history. Do you understand that? Everything is rushing toward a single event, the biggest event in human history. When God reveals his eternal family, those who will be with him forever, he calls them his children. Romans 8, 19. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day. It's future for us. When God will reveal who his children really are. Are you on that list? Do you want to be on that list? The purpose of this series is to reveal the spirit war, number one, and then allow the truth of the scripture, the Bible, to show us how to be victorious and survive the spirit war so that we could be called the blood-bought children of God on the last day. Jesus did not ascend to the right hand of the Father and leave the church to fend for itself in this war. No, the Holy Spirit gave the Apostle Paul some specific instructions of how to survive. It's written in many places, but specifically I've been focusing on the book of Ephesians. Ultimately, let's make something clear here. The presence of the Holy Spirit is survival in the spirit war. If our battle is against spiritual powers in the heavenly realms, against evil spirits, evil spirits, if that's the battle, then what will overcome the evil spirit? I can't in the flesh. You can't in the flesh. I need the Holy Spirit. He is greater than the unholy spirit. Ultimately, the presence of the Holy Spirit is the very thing that will declare us to be the sons of God on the last day. If you have a, the Holy Spirit living inside of you, you have the Spirit of Christ living inside of you, and that in itself is the declaration that you are a child of God. Ultimately, the presence of the Holy Spirit is the only power on earth that can undo and overcome the unholy spirit of Antichrist. And it is the Holy Spirit that does something today that I can't do. It reveals the Word of God. The Holy Spirit reveals the Word of God today. The Bible, specifically the book of Ephesians where we're focusing. So here we go. How to survive the spirit war and be a child of God on the last day. Part number three. We're slowly working our way through the book of Ephesians. And I believe, I need to say this clearly, I believe the book of Ephesians is the Word of God. Do you? I'm asking everybody, before we start, I believe the, the book of Ephesians, Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus in the first century church, is equivalent to, equal to God speaking to us today. That's important that you think about that. 
Because if this is God speaking to us today, then it would be a good idea to pay attention. These are the clear instructions of God about how to survive the spirit war. I hope you're listening. Let's start with Ephesians 5.15. So be careful how you live. How good is that? Be careful. So be careful. His letter to the church, God's message to the church. Be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. And don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine because that'll ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. I love the, the, the set they did today. It was all lifting Jesus' name, lifting Jesus, lifting Jesus' name, singing songs. Hymns, spiritual songs among yourselves, making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to God, the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's interesting to me that I use that same scripture in my New Year's Day sermon this year. I doubt very many of you remember that one, but I, in, on New Year's Day, and here it is, July, I'm doing it again. I gave you seven New, Year Day, New Year's Day challenges. These are clear instructions about how to survive the spirit war. We're seven months into this year, 2023. How you doing? So I'm going to go through these seven because these seven are written to the church at Ephesus about how to survive the spirit war. Paul announces in Ephesians that we're in a spiritual battle that's raging in the heavenly realms. Here's the instructions on survival. So how are you doing? So let's look at them. Let's take them one at a time. Number one, put them on the TV here. Be careful how you live. How are you doing? Don't live aimlessly, but with purpose because our days are short. How are you doing? Don't live aimlessly. Number two, don't live like a fool. Thinking you have much time and no consequences for your choices. Don't live like a fool thinking that you've got a whole lot of time. How much time do you have? When will the Lord return? When will he take you off of this earth? When will you die? When will you stop breathing? Don't live like a fool thinking you have much time. And number two, don't think live like a fool thinking there are no consequences for your choices. That you can do what you want to and you're not accountable to anybody. Yes, you are. We are accountable before God. Number three, live like those who are wise. What's that mean? In worship of the one that you will meet very soon. Let me tell you what, from eternity's perspective, we're going to meet him really soon. I don't know the day, I don't know the hour, but we're going to meet him. Live now like you're going to meet him soon. Number four, make the most of every Holy Spirit-led opportunity each day. Pay attention. 
Yes, even in the midst of expanding evil, the Holy Spirit moments will be there for you if you're paying attention. Number five, don't act thoughtlessly, but surrender yourself each day on the altar. Now, I've told you that one of my daily things, I wake up every day, I pray that Romans chapter 12, kind of a prayer, I've reworded it over the years, but therefore, in view of God's mercy, I offer my body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. This is my spiritual act of worship. I don't want to conform any longer to the patterns of this world because I know they lead to death, but I want to be transformed by the renewing of my mind that I might be able to test and approve and live your good and perfect and pleasing will. Live every day in this act of surrender. I've come up with this idea that one day Jesus is going to reign on the earth. It says he's going to reign for a thousand years in Jerusalem. But in the time of the church, he wants to reign in this temple. While we wait for him to reign in that temple, I want him to reign in this temple. But he doesn't force his way in. I must open the door to allow him to reign in me. This is the church age. When the, when the Son of God will reign through the church, his body, in the power and the person of the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting that he'll be reigning in these individual temples, the body of Christ, while we wait for him to reign physically in the temple in Jerusalem. Number five. Uh, that was number five. Number six, don't be drunk with wine or the pleasures of this temporary life. Don't get, don't put yourself in a situation where you cannot think clearly each day. Because each day has consequences. Number seven, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Live your life with a singular purpose. I am here to please God. I am here for Him. So, let me ask you a, a stupid question. Do you want to survive the spirit war? Do, do you want to be one of the blood-bought children of God on the last day when you stand in front of Him? And, and Jesus says, this one's with me. This one's mine. When He separates the sheep and the goats. How seriously do you take these seven specific instructions <clears throat> from God? How, how seriously are you right now about those seven items? Now, here's the reason I say that. Do you know what follows that section in the book of Ephesians? You know what comes next after he gives us those seven instructions? It's the part that many preachers will not preach today. If some of you have been reading ahead, you know what it is. Some of you will wish I hadn't preached it today when we're finished. No doubt. But I will not skip it. I believe it to be the Word of God. Not just Ephesians, but Genesis to Revelation. And I want to say something up front. Are you ready? It is counter-cultural. It is against the culture that you live in. It is the cult against the culture that I live in. It's against the culture. But if you think about it, everything in here is countercultural. Because why would I say everything in here is countercultural? Because it's against the way of the world, but the way of the world ends in hell.
and I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. That's why we call it a spirit war. You can follow the world or you can follow God. So let me start with one simple verse that really connects everything that, that we're going to talk about today. One simple verse, and then we'll jump into what we call the seriously deep countercultural concept of the church. Remember, as I'm about to read verse 21, it is in direct, con it, it is in the context of those seven items. Those seven items, when, he, when Paul says, be careful how you live, be careful how you live. We're in a spiritual war that's raging in the heavenly realms. There's the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit. Be careful how you live. <coughs> so it all starts here. It's going to be this big picture, and then it'll funnel down into a smaller picture. Ephesians 5.21. And further, this is after the seven items. And further, submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. So let's just start there. Do you want to survive the spirit war? These are instructions how you do it. Submit to one another. Out of reverence to Christ, submit to one another. Let, let, me, let me give you a different flavor of a translation. Submit to one another because of your reverence for Christ. Because of your reverence for Christ, submit to one another. Surviving the spirit war, Paul says, submit to one another. This one's not hard, is it? <laughs> this is not hard, right? Just submitting to one another. No matter who you're with, no matter what they want to do, you just go down and let them go up. You take second place. That's not hard, is it? That's the hardest thing in the world. It's unnatural. That's why this is also countercultural. What does the culture say? What does the culture of the world say? Keep climbing the ladder to the top. What? Why are you climbing so that you're above somebody else around you? Exalt yourself. Why would you exalt yourself so that you can look down on the guy beside you? You don't want to look up at the guy beside you. You want to look down at the guy beside you. You want to be above him. You want to be your will and you want your way, right? But, but Paul says in the spirit war, you got to do, look at life different. Submit to one another. But God says, humble yourself. You know what humble yourself means? That you got to go down to get up. But I don't want to go down. There's the war. God says, humble yourselves, submit yourselves to others out of reverence for Christ. You, you ever thought about it? There's two commandments that kind of summarize everything in the scripture. What? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's like this giant overriding way of God. Love God first above everything else. But what's the second one? Love your neighbor as you love yourself. You know how you do that? You humble yourself. Do you want to survive the spirit war? But I don't want to. But I don't want to. There's something in my flesh that I don't want to go down. But God says, if you're going to go up, you got to go down. But I don't want to. Therein lies the spirit war. In James 4.10, it says this. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and what will happen? 
You, you got to decide if you believe this. Humble yourselves before the Lord. In other words, intentionally go down and he will lift you up in honor. Do, do you think he'll carry out his part? If you'll go down, he'll get you up. In 1 Peter 5, 6, same thought. He says, so humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up. So do you think he's going to honor his part? If you'll go down, he'll get you up. But if you don't go down, who's going to lift you up? You? You can humble yourself. You can do it yourself. You can willingly humble yourself or wait for God to do it. I can tell you this from experience. It's easier if you go on and do it yourself instead of giving him the chance to do it. Because he can humble you. So where did Paul and James and Peter all get this counter-cultural idea that if you'll go down, he'll get you up? Where'd they get it? Well, let's go to Jesus' teaching, Matthew 23. But those who exalt themselves will be humbled. In other words, if your whole life is about trying to get above somebody beside you, he's going to one day take you down. Not up. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. But here's the contrast. But those who humble themselves, don't, don't make him do it. He can do it. Just go on and go down and he'll lift you up. Jesus is our example. And Jesus, listen, if you ever study the scripture, you're going to find out this. Jesus humbled himself. Right? He, if he's our example, he's our pattern, he humbled himself. And, and he, he challenges us to follow him into humility. Follow him into the practice of going down so that God will lift you up. Let, let me tell you one of the best descriptions of that is Philippians 2, 3. And as I read this, listen, this is the one who said to you and me, follow me. Do, do, do life like I did life. Okay? Verse 3. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than ourselves. And don't look out only for your own interest. But take and interest in others too. This is countercultural. Jesus is countercultural. Verse 5. But you must have the same attitude as Christ that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God. Anybody listening? Though he was God. He's Emmanuel. God in the flesh. Though he was God. He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. What? He's going to go down. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. Can you imagine how much further down you can go than going from God to becoming a baby in a feed trough? 
When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. He went down so that his father might raise him up. He's the pattern. You go down, the father raises you up. Therefore, God elevated him. There's the raising up. God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth. Here's the spirit war. Here's the spirit war. Everybody's going to bow in heaven. There's a war raging in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. God the Father. Those verses are humility and submission. And they set the stage for these clear instructions about how to survive the spirit war. So let's go back to Ephesians. So let's start with God's instructions for married women. You ready? Countercultural. Ephesians 5.21. And further... Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, he's, he started. I want you to notice verse 21 is he just takes everybody and puts them in the story. Submit to one another. That's how the sentence begins. The, the passage begins. Everybody live a life like Christ submitting to one another. In other words, humbling yourself for those around you. And then he gets specific. Verse 22, for wives. This means submit to your husbands as to the Lord, as you would to Christ. Submit to your husband. For the, a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of his body, the church, as the church submits to Christ. So wives should submit to your husbands in everything. Now, let's start with that. The husband is the head of the wife. This is God's created order. And I'm going to acknowledge this is countercultural. To rebel against this is what? If you hear that sentence and you kind of cringe a little bit or you're thinking, oh, no, why did I invite somebody to come today? Let me just say this. To rebel against this is to rebel against God. Better think about it. And I want you to think about this as we're going through this today. This is in the context of surviving the spiritual war. But who would rebel against this? A whole lot of people. To rebel against this is to rebel against God himself. And I want you to understand, to rebel against God is to join in the rebellion of Satan in what we call the spirit war. Because there's only two parties in the spirit war. For years, our society, I remember growing up, forms, you know, you, you know it too. For, for years, there used to be this phrase that we used in our culture, American culture, and the phrase was, it's still on some documents, the head of the household. 
head of the household. It used to be a common phrase, but I found out that that, that, that phrase is disappearing from our culture. The head of the household. It's, it used to be how you describe the man's role in the family. He was the head of the household, right? That's, it was a common term. The husband was naturally considered the head of the house. I want you to think about the fact, the head. Well, why are you calling him the head? Jesus is the head of the church. The husband in God's created order is the head of the family. He's the head of the house. He's the, listen, he's the head of the wife. So what about that statement today? If you said now what I just said, that the husband is the head of the wife, it'll be mocked outside the church. In fact, I don't doubt that it's mocked inside the church in many cases. Why? Have you ever thought about how we got here from there? How did we get here? The feminist movement of the 60s declared that to be unfair. Whether you know it or not, understand that the feminist movement of the 60s declared that to be unfair. What's unfair? That the husband is the head of the wife. They declared it to be unfair and were instructed, the feminist movement instructed women to rebel against this husband as the head of the wife ideal. That it was offensive. It was anarchy. It was ancient. It was out of date. It is irrelevant. It won't work. The feminist movement was supposed to bring freedom for women, but let me tell you the truth. Rebellion against the Word of God has never brought freedom to anybody. It only brings bondage. Do you doubt that? Let me give you the evidence. Fifty years later, after the feminist movement of the 60s that declared that it is wrong to consider the husband as the head of the family, the head of the wife, 50 years later, 50, let's fast forward, marriage and family, marriage and family itself is hanging by a fine thread. It is almost non-existent from God's perspective. And only a few in the church will still hold to this biblical truth. Why? Listen carefully. The church has become worldly. The church took on the attributes of the world instead of the attributes of God. And they didn't even know it was happening. And what's the result? True masculinity, I'll just call it manhood, has become toxic to many. It's, there's even a term now that the world uses, toxic masculinity. As if somebody being a man, assuming the God position as a head of the family, the head of a wife, that role defined by God is now toxic. A submissive wife now in the world, a submissive wife, one who recognizes her husband as the head of the family, as the head of her, 
A submissive wife is considered a weak-minded loser and a betrayer of the always angry feminist movement. And the result? What's the result? We're 50 years into this ideal of the feminist movement. As a result, now men act like women. And the real, real truth is men have become feminine. They have been feminized. Do you think this is from God? When masculinity, when men have taken on the attributes of women, do you think this came from God? Because it's the other side too. And now women have become more masculine. Let me ask you, do you think this comes from God? The Bible reveals God's created order. And if you want to rebel against that, you need to understand that you're not rebelling against me. You're not even rebelling against the church. You're rebelling against the head of the church. The Bible reveals God's created order. And in God's created order, he clearly defines the head. The head. Christ is the head of the church. Does that offend you? Christ is the head of the church. This is God's created order. And then the head of the church, Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, tells the Apostle Paul that the head of man is Christ and the head of woman is man. Are you offended? Why does that offend you? You want to know the truth? No, you don't, but I'm going to say it anyway. You know the truth? Because you don't want to go down. You want to go up. You have joined the rebellion. And you don't know it. It's the sin nature inside of us. I don't want to go down. But to get up, I got to go down. The church is the body of Christ. Jesus is the head. The church came from Jesus. That's why Jesus said what? I will build my church. So he's the head, right? And the gates of hell will not prevail against mine. It's mine. Why? Because he's the head. He's the head. Woman, women came from man. Listen carefully. It's not complicated. If the church is the body of Christ because it came from Christ, the head, then what about woman? Woman came from man. This is God's created order. 1 Timothy 2.13 For God made Adam first, and afterward he made Eve now put that in context with Paul's instructions. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. As you would the Lord. As you submit to your husband as you would the Lord. That, that doesn't mean that the husband is the Lord. It means the husband is the head of the wife. Why would you rebel against that? Why is that a problem? This was God's instructions for the church. And listen, I am not naive. The world was never going to submit to this teaching. Nor do I expect them to. 
But what happens when the church no longer accepts it? Is anybody listening to me? I, I get it that the world's never going to accept this, but what would happen if the church no longer accepts it? It's called the spiritual war. Listen, listen carefully. It's called the apostasy. Not, not just this, but this. What happens when the church no longer does it? I get it that the world doesn't do it, doesn't accept it as authority. But what would happen if the church didn't accept it? It's called the apostasy. It's called the rebellion. The apostle Paul prophesied this would happen before the arrival of the Antichrist. And what is the Antichrist? He is the man of lawlessness. He rejects this. And the church will also reject this right before he arrives in the spirit war. And I say that and I wonder to myself, how many of you even believe that? These instructions to husbands and wives in the book of Ephesians are directly connected to the seven items that precede them. How to survive the spirit war. It's directly connected to the survival of the spirit war. Verse 21. Let me put it together. In fact, I want you to notice something. This begins with and further. You know what and further means in this English translation? That you can take the seven items before that I told you about, and these items, wives, husbands, and you, they're connected. It's not a separate thing. Do you want to survive the spirit war? Stop rebelling against God. Stop rebelling against God. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. So I'm going to ask you another, one more time. Do you want to survive the spirit war? In the context of Ephesians, one thing is clear. Stop rebelling against God. Stop fighting Him. Stop fighting Him. Now, now, everybody take a breath. Ladies, you can take a breath and ungrit your teeth. It's the man's turn. Next verse. Verse 25. For husbands... This means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. Did you notice for wives and husbands, it was both, said, both of them, do it as you would to me. Wives, submit your husband as you submit to me. Husbands, love your wives like I love the church. He gave up his life for her, the church, to make her holy and clean. Washing, oh, excuse me, washed by the cleansing of what? Washed by the cleansing of what? This, God's Word. What cleansed the church? The love of God cleansed the church. She's washed by the cleansing of the Word. I'm reading you the word. 
that cleanses you when you stop rebelling against it. It cleanses you. Verse 27. He did this to present her, the church, to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. How can we, a bunch of rebels, be holy and without fault? The blood of the Lamb. Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. The blood of the Lamb. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it just as Christ cares for his church. And we are members of his body. This is why it's so important not to marry an unbeliever. Do you understand? This is why it is so important not to marry an unbeliever. This is why it's so important to submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. Because an unbeliever is never going to go along with this standard because it's countercultural. It's difficult enough for church people to go along with this standard, but they understand the truth, hopefully. Husbands are called by God to love their wives like Jesus loved the church. That is the standard. Called out by God. Husbands, you are called to love like Jesus loved. And what, what's, what does that look like? He died for her. What's the greatest love? No greater love is than this, than you would lay down your life for another. It is the greatest form of love. To be willing to die for somebody else. You're talking about going down so that you can get up. This is the standard called out by God. I would like to think, I would like to think that godly women will always be happy to follow godly men. I'm talking about the church. I would like to think today that godly women would always be happy to follow godly men who are following Christ. I want you to look at the, the order. That the man follows Christ, the woman follows the man. And if the woman's following the man who's following Christ, she's always going the right way. If the man's following Christ while he leads the wife, they're all going the right way. I would like to think that that's okay. That that's desirable. That that's the goal of life in a family, in the church. But I'm not so sure anymore. I'm not so sure that that's how things are working anymore. And when I say following a godly man, listen, I'm not talking about following a perfect man. Because somebody has the idea that to follow a godly man means that he's perfect. Well, no, that's not even possible. The godly man is following the perfect man. And neither the husband nor the wife will ever reach that perfection. But we listen to his word and we do it his way. That's all he's asked of us. It comes down to what? Listen, two words, love, respect. Men are commanded to love their wives and wives are commanded to respect their husbands as, and his given authority as you would Christ. Love, respect. Men, love your wives as you would love Jesus, and as Jesus demonstrated his love for you, sacrificial love. 
Wives, respect God's created order. Follow him as he follows Christ. He is the head who's following the head. Don't try to go around the head to get to the head. This is God's created order. And this is crucial to the survival of the children of God in the spirit war. Now I'm going to ask you, I wonder how many of you believe that. I want to make a big deal out of this. This is God's created order, and it's crucial. I've asked you a bunch of times, do you want to survive in the spirit war? You might wonder, why, why would this be crucial in surviving the spirit war? Well, well, first, let me just say this. If this is the word of God and you've got a problem with it, then you're already in trouble in the spiritual war because you're fighting against God. You've joined the other side in the spirit war when you fight against God's word. Secondly, the family. The family, as described in the scripture, is the foundation of human civilization. It's God's created order. And think about this. The the family, God's created order, was before the church, God's created order. Are are you with me? He, He formed the family unit before he ever formed the church. It's the first God's created order thing. How can the church created order survive when the family created order collapses around us? We want the church to be strong when the family is in self-destruct mode. Today, listen, today the divorce rate for church people is pretty much the same as the rest of the world. What does it tell you? What does it tell you? The church became worldly. We became like the world. We're not different. We say, well, the divorce rate in the, in the society is 60% now. So should it, well, it's only 10% in the church. That's not true. It's almost the same. The divorce rate for church people is pretty much the same. Now, many, let, let me tell you what, many in the church don't get married. Listen carefully. I've been here for 23 years, and I've noticed something. Many in the church just don't get married, or they don't use the church staff because of our rules. You know, when I first came here, even when the church was much, much smaller than it is right now, I had to limit the amount of marriages, weddings I did in a year, because I was overwhelmed with doing weddings. And yet, you know what? Now, I almost do no weddings. And I look at the rest of the staff. We almost do no weddings. We've got thousands of people, and we almost do no weddings. Why? Why? Do you know why? Because people are getting married outside the church. Why? Because we have rules. You have to, you can't be living together when we do your wedding. You'll have to separate until the wedding. What happened? What happened? The church became worldly. Do you want to survive the spirit war? Do you see the spirit war? Do you see how humility and submission to one another is the remedy? Do you see it? Have you ever tried to fight with someone who's humble and submissive? 
It's very frustrating. So let's step back, step back from the husband and wife created order thing, and, and let's look at the spirit war and the cure. Okay, let's get back from step back from the husband and wife, because that's not the root. The root's underneath. James four verse one. This is the war. What's causing the quarrels and fighting among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? Here's the war. You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war, there it is, to take it away from them. You don't get what you, you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. Listen, here it comes. It ties it all together. He calls you an adulterer. He calls me an adulterer. You adulterers. Adulterers? This is sexual? This is unfaithfulness. You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world, here's the spirit war, makes you an enemy of God? Church, anybody listening? Friendship with the world. When the church becomes worldly, you become an enemy of God. You don't become neutral. You become his enemy. You don't survive the spirit war. Don't you, you adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. You want to survive the spirit war? Church, everybody, listen. Stop fighting God. Stop fighting His Word. Stop. Verse 5, what do you think the Scriptures mean when they say that the Spirit of God that God has placed within us is filled with envy, but He gives us even more grace to stand against, to stand against such evil desires? As the Scriptures say, God opposes the proud. I don't want to go down. He'll oppose you. He will stand against you. God opposes the proud, but he favors the humble. I don't want to go down, but I will because his word told me the truth. So I'll go down. Then he will lift you up. Verse 7, so humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, church. And he will flee from you. There's the victory in the war. Resist the devil. Humble yourselves. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Who's going to win? Your loyalty. You want one foot in the world and one foot in Christ. You'll lose. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter. Gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up in honor. Remorse. Repentance. 
go down. But I don't want to. Now for the mystery. Listen. Here's the mystery. Marriage. The union between a husband and his wife is a mystery. Some of you want to say amen to that, but you're afraid to. It's a mystery. This is the next verse in Ephesians. Of all of that countercultural, listen, here's the mystery. Verse 31. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Everybody watch. When a, when a man leaves his father and mother, a man and woman get married from God's perspective to do this. Okay? Stay with me. This is a great mystery. How these can do this. This is a great mystery. But it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church do it. Listen carefully. Listen carefully. This is a great mystery. It is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. That creates, that creates this. Listen carefully. So let's see if we can unravel the mystery, the marriage and church mystery. Why does the Word of God connect marriage to the church? Man and wife, this, and Jesus and the church, this. So let's go to Genesis 2, 21. Back to the beginning. So the Lord God created the man, excuse me, caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone, flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two, here we go. And the, this is Genesis chapter 2. And the two are united into one. What is the spirit or mystery that links Husbands and wives to Jesus and the church. Paul is linking the marriage of Adam and Eve to the spirit war in the church. Do you see it specifically? How can two become one flesh? Two are united into one. The apostle Paul connects husbands and wives' marriage to the way that Jesus and the church can become one and the same. A great mystery and a profound truth. And I'm going to ask you, do you see it? Jesus compares marriage to his relationship with the church in the spirit war. Do you see it? Jesus calls the church his bride. Will the bride accept him as the head? Listen carefully. Jesus calls us the bride He's the bridegroom. And the question is, will the bride, the church, accept Jesus as the head and follow his leadership, or will she rebel against the head? 
Jesus is the bridegroom, the husband in the relationship with the church. He is the head of the church. The husband Jesus has offered intimacy. Listen, the husband Jesus has offered intimacy. That's oneness, love, fellowship, protection, provision. He has offered you and I the role that he would assume the role as the husband. And the question is, will the bride, that be us, the church, submit to his authority and receive his oneness, his intimacy, his love, his fellowship, his protection, his provision? Or, or listen carefully, or, or will the bride rebel against the leadership and find her own way? The two shall become one. This is the ultimate mystery revealed. Christ in me. Christ in me, the Holy Spirit inside of me, the two have become one. The bridegroom Jesus has taken a bride. She's called the church. And will the bride rebel against the bridegroom? Will the bridegroom Jesus find his bride, the church, faithful? In the, or will he find her in spiritual adultery when he comes? I need to say that again. Will the bridegroom, Jesus, find the bride, the church, faithful when he comes? Or will he find her in spiritual adultery when he comes? Listen carefully. To rebel against the word is to rebel against the bridegroom. Do not be deceived. I have read to you today the word of God. If you find this to be offensive, you need to understand that you are actually finding the bridegroom to be offensive. It's his word. Will you rebel against the head of the church? Really? Will the bride rebel against the bridegroom and become an adulteress? All right, listen. Will the bridegroom, the church, uh, will the bride, the, the church, rebel against the bridegroom, Jesus, and to be, will she be found to be adulterous, unfaithful? Are you ready for the answer? Yes. She will. It's been prophesied. It's going to happen. The Apostle Paul told us that when, before Jesus comes, before the Antichrist is revealed, the bride will become adulterous. It's called the great apostasy. She will fall away. Yes. Israel did it, and now the church is doing it. Anybody listening? Israel did it, and now the church is doing it too. Both became what? What, what, did they, what happened to Israel? What happened to the church? They both became worldly. The spirit war is real, and the legitimate children of God will be the only survivors in the spirit war. Now, here's my closing today. God wanted to become one with Israel. And they rebelled. Not all of them, but most of them. They became adulterous and unfaithful. And God wants to be one with the church. He wants to do this with the church through Christ. But many are rebelling today. Even in the church, you're rebelling against the word. As if somehow or another, I can have Jesus, but I can reject his word. You have been deceived. Are you married to the bridegroom? Have you become 
one with him. This series is to prepare the church to survive the spiritual war. There will be one more session next week where I'm going to focus specifically from Ephesians. And then there'll be session number five, the week after that, Lord willing, in which I'm going to show you of the physical reality of a spiritual war. Don't miss these next two. And if you think today you stand strong, be careful that you do not fall victim to Satan's schemes. And how does Satan do it? He always does it the same way. It's called deception. Be careful. Hebrews 3.12, God's warning to the church. Listen. Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day while it's still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. For if we are faithful to the end, this is a war. If we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. Somebody say hallelujah. If you're faithful to the end, you're going to share everything that belongs to Christ. Remember what it says. Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did. When they rebelled, don't do it. And who was it that rebelled against God? Even though they heard his voice, wasn't it the people Moses led out of Egypt? And who made God angry for 40 years? Wasn't it the people who sinned, whose corpses, whose corpses lay in the wilderness? And to whom was God speaking when he said, when he took an oath that they will never enter my rest? Who's he talking to? Israel. Wasn't it the people who disobeyed him? So we see that because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter his wrist. I'm going to ask Chad to come out for the invitation. All creation is groaning in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Several years ago, most of you were here then when one of our staff members, Brian Perry, died of cancer. It was several days after his death that we were able to open his office up and just too painful to walk in there. But when I walked in his office, finally, after some period of time had passed, I opened this door and locked it, walked over, and he had a post-it note on his computer desk. And he had handwritten a scripture. And here's what the scripture was he had handwritten. Probably the last time he was in his office. The eyes of the Lord range throughout the whole earth looking for one whose heart is undivided that he might strengthen him. That's an interesting last statement from a man of God, Brian Perry. The eyes of the Lord range throughout the whole earth looking for one thing, a person whose heart is undivided, that loves God with all his heart, mind, soul, strength. He's not having an affair with the world. He's just in love with God. And what's the end of that sentence? That he might strengthen him. That's who God look, he's looking for today. Is your heart undivided? If you think you can resist the word of God and love God in the same person, you've been deceived. 
His word is his son. His son is his word. They are the same. If you'll go down, he'll raise you up. But if your pride tells you to go up, one day he will take you down. We're going to sing an invitation. I don't know what this type of sermon does to you, except maybe make you run for the house. I don't, you know, it doesn't matter. I know the Holy Spirit compels me to preach it. It is the Word of God. How you respond is your responsibility. His grace is sufficient to cover our sin. But you got to go down. You got to go down to get up. Let's stand.